Well, good evening. Welcome to our Bible study. And we give you a warm welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm glad that you are coming on to listen. Trust you have notebook, pen, and of course, your Bible with you. And we're going to look through some scriptures tonight. We're going to do a little study in the book of Hebrews. Maybe take a week or two at it. We'll see how we get on. And we're going to look at how in the book of Hebrews that it's written for a reason. And it is that Christ is better. That he's better in so many things. He's greater than all things. We know that. But he's better or he's greater. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews. So what we're going to do at the minute. We're just going to bow in a word of prayer. And then we're going to get down into our study. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, we just want to thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his great sacrifice, our redemption and salvation found at Calvary, the place of the skull where Christ, our Lord, bled and died for us. Father, we thank you that you gave him. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. We thank you went all the way to the cross and you gave your life that I and others might live. And Lord, that we would be saved, eternally saved. We thank you, Lord, that you are risen from the dead, ascended into glory. And Lord, there you're our great high priest. Father, we, we just delight in your son and we love him. And Father, we ask you in his name that you would now take this study, Lord, and, and use it for your glory. And let us see the wonder, the glory, the power in the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful sacrifice above all others and above all else. So to that end, Father, Help us, we pray tonight, to glorify your Son. And we pray, Father, that your Spirit would move not only here with me, but whoever would watch and listen. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to take a reading from chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read a few verses, but keep it open because we are going to look at quite a few different scriptures tonight as we go through this. So Hebrews chapter 10, and begin reading in verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience for sins, of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering the offerings oft times 
the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. So the, the book of Hebrews, many people think, well, it's a, it's a book that we can't really understand. We know it's to do with uh, sacrifice, official worship, uh, worship and the slaying of blood. And a lot of people don't realize why it was written. So why was the book of Hebrews written? Well, you see, when we're talking about the book of Hebrews, as I have many times here, we remember it's been divided up into 13 chapters for our easy reading. And there are some 287 verses in the book of Hebrews. So now in saying the book of Hebrews, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the book of Hebrews is actually a letter. And the letter was given. No chapters, no verses, obviously, in the original. And the letter was given to be read in one go from start to finish. And everything between this would all fitted together. It was a masterpiece put together, but it was for a reason and a very good reason. You see, there were people who had professed Christ and followers of the way, that is the way the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we became known as Christians and so on. They, they were followers of the way, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened was that these people started to come under heavy persecution at this point in time from the Jews. And because of that, their thinking was it would be easier to go back to the old religion. be easier maybe to go back to the old faith. And sure, it's sacrifice, it's blood, you know, it's all of those things. But even in our reading of chapter 10, it says in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. All of this was just a shadow. And by this time, the, the, the law of God had been mixed and mongrelized with uh, traditions of men and all these things that took it away from true Israelitish Hebraic worship. And so this Judaism here at this day, it was totally, if you want, twisted. And so the Lord Jesus, he even uh, degraded it whenever he was speaking to the Pharisees and so on. What happened was uh, that the, the good things that were to come had already come when this book is written. And the idea of it is then the good things that were to come is in verse 12 of the Lord Jesus offering one sacrifice for sins forever. And again in verse 14, for by one offering hath he perfected them forever. The sacrifice of the the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God, the final Lamb, the final sacrifice, it meant there was no other sacrifice good enough, no other sacrifice needed, and there still isn't, because his sacrifice is all that we need. Now, when we're looking at this, so it's to be read, as it were, from really from verse 1, right the whole way through to the very end of chapter 13. So here's how they would begin reading it. God, beginning with God. And of course, it's temple worship, it's sacrificial worship, and so it begins with God. God who at sundry times and divers' manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. Thinking of the, the, the fathers in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob. Then we think of the prophets like Moses and Joshua. And we go on the whole way through from the, the judges right the whole way through to Isaiah and Hosea and Jeremiah and Amos and Ezekiel and Daniel and, 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 Jer and, and, and all of the prophets. Just quickly to go on through them. So God, who had sundry times and divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And so they're starting this off by bringing Jesus right in to the picture, right into the very center of it. And then whenever we get down to Hebrews chapter 13, and we start coming down to verse 20, God is coming up to the run, and at the end of it, now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, notice, so it's God, his Son, and his blood, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To whom be glory? To the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory. Here we had God and his Son and his blood making us perfect, the Spirit working in us, and now saying that's who receives the glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Hebrews was to stop people turning to Judaism. It was to stop those who had made professions of faith in Christ turning to the temple worship. And hence then we want to look at some of these differences as we just run through this this evening. So for, for example, in verse 7 of, our, of chapter 10, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, we have the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming and the life ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So here is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his birth at Bethlehem, and he's coming to do the will of the Father. Who is he? The Word of God. I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So here we have the coming in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 10. We have the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, wherein are all offered by the law. So here we're seeing the Lord Jesus saying, It's not the death of the animals any longer. You see, the animals... Blood did not wash or cleanse, it covered. And the, and the washing of the blood of Jesus, it covers, cleanses and purifies the soul, purifies our hearts from sin. And then he says in verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So now here he is offering himself, the coming, the life, the death. And then in verse uh 10 it says by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all what's the writer of Hebrews doing here he's putting one against the other the temple worship and the temple offerings and the animal sacrifice and Christ coming in a body of flesh dying on the cross doing his father's will keeping his father's law and doing the father's work 
And he says, I've come to do thy work, to keep thy will in the volume of the book. That is from chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which are offered year by year continually make comers thereunto perfect. In other words, here the Hebrew writer is saying, here the law or the things that are written in the book that Israel were to do, where our sin could, where our sin they're saying could be covered, but now they can be cleansed. And so it was a it was a shadow, if you want. It was a, a not even a good shadow compared to the glory of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says it it doesn't purge their sins. See, when we're saved and washed in the blood, our sins are cleansed, but our conscience is purged from our past is all gone. If, now, if, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So we had the death of Jesus, or pardon me, the coming of Jesus in verse 7. Verses 8 to 10, we had the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 12 and 13, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. What do we have here? We have the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? This man who died is now raised from the dead and after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that's the dying of himself, the giving of himself, the precious blood that he shed, sat down on the right hand of God. Notice, sat down on the right hand of God. So he has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. He sat down on the right hand of God and he's glorified, henceforth expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. So here's something else we want to know. So here's the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension and the glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10, in just those few uh, short verses. Now, there's another contrast that we want to look at. First of all, in verse 11, it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Notice, notice the present tense here. Every priest standeth daily ministering in oft times. Here the temple, when this is written, is still standing in Jerusalem. Christ has died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. And between AD 30, 33 till AD 70, this is then when this book is written. It gives us that area of time when this is written. Because the temple's still standing, the priests are still ministering, the people are going to turn back, and this book has been written to tell them, don't do it. Keep your eyes on Christ. Notice so verse 11, you have the offering, uh, pardon me, verse 10 with the offering of the body of Jesus. And in verse 11, we see the priests standing and ministering oft times. Notice verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Here's the, the contrast again on this. 
not only between the priests and their work and Christ and Christ and his work. The priests' work is a continuing work. They have to keep trying. They have to keep sacrificing in order to appease God. But when the Lord Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am not appeased but well pleased. And so the work of Christ, the finished work on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the difference. One keeps ministering. One keeps going. And the other one was done once. And again, we have a, 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 a contrast where one can never take away sins and the other, the the Lord Jesus, his sacrifice takes away our sins. So here we know, we want to look at something else. Just while, just little snapshots as we go through this chapter before we move on uh, a little more. So notice we have the contrast of the standing priest in verse eleven, and then and then in verse twelve we have the seated saviour, the standing priests in the temple in verse eleven. They, they're not finished, but the seated Saviour is in verse 12. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated means his work was done, finished, complete. He sat down. And so we have the difference here. Can you see why the writer's saying to, to those uh, who had come from Judaism and were followers of Christ? Can you see how they're saying, don't go to the temple. The temple is no more. The temple's finished. AD 70 was coming. And we'll look at that if we have time in a moment. And notice here, so we have the standing priests, speaks of works, speaks of ritual. And there are many people today still doing the same thing, going through the same uh, rituals, all works, all ritual. And then there are those who are in Christ who are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So take note of that because those of us who are trusting in the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, the blood of Christ, you and I are seated. We don't add to it. We have no works to give. We're saved because of what Christ has done alone. Now, we, works don't save us. But we work because we're saved. So we serve the Lord Jesus. Big difference here. Now notice this also. This letter, as I said, is written about 80, 30, 33 probably and uh, between that and AD 70. But here's something I want you to notice as we go on down. We didn't get reading this, these verses, but let's drop down the chapter again. Verse 16 says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. So here's what the covenant that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at this. This is the covenant which he made with us. So we're seated, we're saved, and we're secure. Notice here, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So here the Lord Jesus is, is looking, uh, pardon me, the, the Lord is looking here saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. Now he had to say that before this, and this is the rehearsal of it. So where did he say it? Go with me to the book of Jeremiah, please. If You'll go to Jeremiah chapter 31. 
And this is where he said it. And this is a powerful portion of scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. The Lord says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this is, or pardon me, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now notice, forgiveness here wasn't as you and I know as forgiveness. So this was future in the days of Jeremiah. And the future tense comes in Hebrews chapter 10. We look at it, for the Lord said it. The Lord said, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Verse 16, pardon me, of Hebrews 10. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. If you will go with me, just across the page or two, to Hebrews chapter 8. And just let your eye run down again to, okay, to verse 7. He says, for if that first covenant, that is the one in Mount Sinai with Moses, and the Ten Commandments and so on. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. Now we need to unpack this a bit. If the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now, we have to look and say, well, here is this covenant. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we do remember the Lord's death till he come. That's the Apostle Paul, First uh, Corinthians 11, from verse 23 on down. And so, 
And so here's the new covenant. The cross work of Christ. Here we have it. His laws in our minds. His laws in our hearts. Not on the, the, ten, uh, the ten commandments and two tablets of stone. Yes, we may have the ten commandments up out, uh, on stone. And I would love to see them on, on all sorts of universities and up in schools and up in parliament buildings and government legislation buildings. I would love to see it, see big tablets of it in the middle of city centres and written upon walls and engraving in them that they can't be rubbed out nor taken away. I would love to see that. That doesn't save us, but what it does, it shows us that we're sinners and we are then pointed to Christ the Saviour. This is what this is. And that which is on the wall, or on the, pardon me, the two tables, is now written in our hearts, it's printed on our minds, and the Spirit of God who's in us, He enables us to live in the liberty of this. And we're washed in the blood and we're living in grace. Powerful, wonderful covenant, wonderful God, wonderful Saviour. But here's something, Hebrews chapter 10, again with me please. Hebrews chapter 10. So in verse 16, Hebrews 10, verse 16. This covenant will I make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and print them in their minds while I write them. Notice, God must write this in our heart. This is where we're convicted of our sin. This is where when, 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 we, when we are saved and serving, we're, we're, we have the consciousness of God in our minds, his words in our mind, his laws in our heart, and we don't steal and we don't go out to deliberately uh, hurt and kill and maim people. We 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 don't uh, we we don't fornicate and we don't commit adultery and we we don't agree with all of the the the, the things that's against God's word and because it's in our heart and He has written it there. There's people who who claim they're they're saved, they're Christ's, and and I don't know sometimes because their life tells a different story. But notice here, we have here the the. That which was was uh, finding fault with the covenant, and in Romans chapter eight, here's here's what the fault was. Is there anything wrong with the covenant of God? Notice, verse uh, eight says, "Finding fault with them." So God found fault with Israel. God found fault with you, and God found fault with me that we didn't keep, we couldn't keep the commandments. And notice here, Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect converting the soul. If we could keep the law 24-7, 365, every day of the week, for all of our lives, if we, if we could do that, then maybe we would have a chance. But don't forget we have a depraved nature that God must change at his coming, at the coming of Christ too. But notice this. What is the finding? What was the fault? Uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us, and he tells us in verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law was weak in my flesh, in your flesh. God, here's the answer, here's the remedy. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Please take note, he didn't say God sending his son in sinful flesh. He didn't say God sending his son in depraved sinful flesh. He says in the likeness. Oh, he was fully man, fully flesh. But he had his DNA came from the Holy Spirit. His DNA came from God himself. 
Notice God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. What did Jesus do? Jesus condemned sin in, his, in the flesh. In other words, the, he says that the devil, the, uh, the enemy, Satan would come and, as it were, search him out. And he says, he cometh and finds nothing in me. Not one law broken, not one sin, not one thought, not one anger at, at the wrong time with the wrong people. Yes, righteous anger, but not at the wrong time with the wrong people. He was pure and holy and spotless. He was without sin. He did no sin. He was, he was the perfect, impeccable Son of God. And so God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned that sin. Without, so the sin's condemning us. This is who you are. Here's the law, and it's condemning us. Jesus comes and keeps it, and he condemns it, takes our curse, and washes us in his blood. Powerful. What was the weakness? We were the weakness. Our flesh was the weakness. Notice here in Hebrews 10, please. And let your eye run down to verse 20. I tell you, let's go to um, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The, the high priest of Israel entered once a year into the holy of holies. There was animal sacrifices going on all the time. But the high priest went in with the blood once a year. And notice here, we have boldness. It's not a reverence. It's not arrogance. What it means is that when we have boldness, it means we have a confidence in the new covenant. We have a confidence in the Savior, the Redeemer, our Goel kinsman, the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice here, having therefore, brethren, Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now notice this. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Notice. So he's saying here was the veil in the, tab in the tabernacle and then in the temple in Jerusalem. And at this time, the tabernacle, or pardon me, the temple had seen the veil torn in two when Jesus, Jesus was hanging on on the cross and he looks and sees that veil torn in two and he's able to cry it is finished and we're not separated between our God anymore and ourselves but rather he's our reconciliation and in him we go to the Father in him we are saved in him we are redeemed in him we are blood washed in him we are blood bought in him we find that we can go into the holy place that is in prayer in worship as we gather, as we read, and we can go with confidence knowing that we're before God, right into the holy place, right into the heavenly tabernacle. Now, there's something we need to look here by a new and living way. By a new and living way. Notice here, the, the new and living way, uh, the, the word new is, uh, is the word prosperton. So, for example, pros means to come near to or to approach near to. And fatos means, it comes from another word, means to kill. To come near to or to come to and to kill. Now, stay with me. So, the word here for new and living means, it means a freshly or a newly slain road. It gives the idea 
of blood being slain fresh all the time. Gives the idea that you're coming into the presence of God as though blood has been shed. That's what happened in the tabernacle and in the temple with the high priest. For example, Leviticus chapter 16, and I'm just going to read one, one verse. I'm going to bring this to a close soon and then do, God willing, another part next Tuesday night. Uh, Leviticus 16. I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 16. And we're going to just run down the chapter for one verse, and it's verse 14. Leviticus 16, verse 14. And he, that is the high priest, shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger. Notice upon the mercy seat eastward, that was in the holy place. And that's on the mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubims on it. Notice, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Notice, before the mercy seat. So the idea is here, on the approaching the mercy seat, he makes a roadway through the holy place of blood. Seven times, seven's a number of completion and perfection. Like So he sprinkles it with his finger, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in him. So it's blood has been sprinkled. It's only been a spot of blood. It's marking a, a roadway. And then he marks the mercy seat with the blood. So what does it mean a new and living way here? It means that the Lord Jesus Christ, although his body was given, although his blood was shed, his sacrifice was once and for all. That means for all time, never be repeated. Although it happened, it means that the blood of Jesus still speaks in heaven. The blood of Jesus is like the blood sprinkle that's a new and living way, gives the idea of a freshly slain road. And the, the, as it were, before the eyes of the Father, the blood of his son is still fresh. The blood of his son is still speaking. The blood of his son paves the way, a new and living way has been consecrated for us. That is through the veil, that is to say the veil of his flesh. Verse 21 of Hebrews 10, And having an high priest over the house of God, notice, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. See, they're starting to waver, these people. For he is faithful that promised. He's faithful in his covenants. His covenants that he made with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Covenants he made with David. The covenant that he made right up to the blood of the everlasting covenant. He is faithful when we're unfaithful. Notice this, and I'm going to close here in a couple of moments. When we come the new and living way, it's a way of hope. It's a way of joy. It's a, a road. It's a lifestyle. It's a walk of fellowship and communion with the living God. This is so important because people don't realize, people think that, well, we can leave our God at home. Some people do leave their God at home. But we have the living God within us. You know, it's it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed once and for all. And I'll never be repeated. Yet today it cleanses, it avails, it atones as fresh as ever for us. As though it were 
uh, sprinkled and the pathway has been consecrated. It means it's been set down like concrete for us who are redeemed. It's the road of eternal life, everlasting life. And here's what the writer says as he comes in. He says, draw near with a true heart. You have full assurance. And our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. Our bodies will wash with pure water. We're holding fast the perfection of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he's pro- he is faithful. And in verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke one another to good works. So here's my final thought for this evening. The word... In verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Notice here, the, the idea of forsaking is the word encatalipo. It means to let down, it means to abandon. To let down or to abandon. So this letter was written to those who say they're going back to Judaism, back to the temple, Back to the sacrifice. And, and, and you know, there's people today that are looking for that to happen again. We are the temple. Christ is the sacrifice. And it says not to abandon. Notice, it's instructing those who have made a profession to follow Christ. And though the Jewish persecution was hard and heavy on them at this time, he says, hold fast. Hold fast. So let me tell you why. Matthew 21. We're just going to read a few scriptures. And this is it. Matthew 21. Verse 43. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. Listen to what he says. To the, the Jewish Pharisees at this time. Matthew 21 verse 43. Wherefore I say unto you. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you. And given to a nation. Bringing forth the fruits thereof. Taking it from you. What's going to happen? Well, we're going to read again another scripture. I'm taking it from you. and giving it to another nation. Giving it to another people. And of course, he gave it to us. He sent it to us. Notice this. If you let yourself flick over to chapter 23, verse 37. Verse 37. The Lord Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicken under her wings, and you would not, wouldn't come to him. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And notice here, the Lord Jesus is saying here, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And the house or the whole lineage around the whole temple in Jerusalem was pulled down. Let's go to Matthew 12. Let's re- reverse a bit and we'll finish. I know I keep saying that, but I mean it. Uh, Matthew 12 and verse 6, please. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, meaneth I will have mercy and, and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the, the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. Notice, the Lord Jesus is saying, I am greater than the temple. The temple became an idol. 
the, the, the walls of Jerusalem, the temple, all the precinct became an idol to them. Their sacrifice was something that they did as a ritual to them. They held to the tradition of men and to the, the laws of Talmud uh, that came in. And the Lord Jesus came and says, this is not Hebraic Israelitish worship. I'm greater than the temple and yet you're condemning me. So here the Lord is even showing himself greater. That will be our next study in the Lord's will. The Lord Jesus is greater. And why was this written? Because the temple would be destroyed. Jesus, because Jesus had paid everything they needed. He was the final sacrifice. His blood. Look, there is no other blood sacrifice. We don't look for another blood sacrifice. It's an affront to the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was once and for all. Never to be repeated again. It's the only cleansing and atonement that we need. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless that study to you tonight. And may it be something that you could even go over again and, and think about it. And we'll do part two in the Lord's will next Tuesday night. God bless you. Thank you for coming on. And thank you for sharing as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, take your word and inscribe it in our hearts. Take your word and imprint it upon our minds. We pray, Father, that you would, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. And for those that are in ritual, those that are looking for someone or something else other than your son, we pray, Lord, you'd open their eyes that they may see the kingdom of God and your plan and purpose in your son. And then for some that are unsaved, Lord, would you draw them, Lord, and save them through what Christ has done for us. So, Lord, to that end, bless your people, encourage them and strengthen them. And Father, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.